0: Let's, uh, let's pray again. Father, we do bless your name, for it is the only name that provides the hope and the peace and the comfort and the grace and the mercy that we so desperately need. And so, yes, we do bless your name this morning. And Father, as we open your word this morning, again, I pray that anything that comes out of my mouth that is not of you would be stricken down. And only that is that which is of you, Lord, would be planted by your spirit in the hearts of your people today that it would take root, that it would grow, that we would be changed and transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you and we ask now that you would bless this time. Thank you for being here. Thank you that your presence is here and moving And I pray that you do a great work in us this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Something I've been thinking a lot about lately is the topic of the glory of God. Um, One reason is because I started reading a book um, by John Piper on this topic. And it's been pretty eye opening to me. Um, and I just want to confess right now, I mean I, I'm nowhere close to um, understanding God's glory. Um, so when I preach this message, man me and I, I'm preaching to myself, um, but I do confess, I, mean, I, I believe in God's glory. I believe that it's something that we need to, need to pursue. Because as we see, we'll see this morning. Is I, I believe God's glory it changes us. You know, if you look at the people in the Bible who came face to face with God's glory, they were changed. Some of them fell on their faces as though dead. And I think we need that today. We need that kind of a of an experience with God where we just come and we see God's glory in such a way that we are changed. And so this morning I want to look at what it means to live for the glory of God. Because I think sometimes we talk about the glory of God and it, it, it's kind of out there. It, it doesn't seem very tangible. Like, And I was thinking, how how do we live for the glory of God? What's the, what does that look like? Uh, and, uh, you know, it's so cool because there's some very practical things that we can do to live a life that is seeking after God's glory. And so it was so good for me to study through this and to walk away thinking, ah, I finally have some very tangible things that I can hold on to, that I can look to as I try to live a life that seeks God's glory. And so we're going to go through some of those things this morning But I want to kind of lay a foundation. I I said that it's the glory of God that changes us. And didn't just make that up. Uh, We'll be glad to know that. Uh, But if you turn, this would be our main text. And then there's going to be a lot of scripture this morning that we look at. But our main one, just to kind of get an idea for where... Ahead and and why I say that it's the glory of God that changes us. Turn with me to Second Corinthians, chapter three, verse eighteen. Now let me just kind of set this up. Paul, this this verse comes at the end of the section where Paul is talking about the greater covenant. Okay, it's a greater covenant, and we'll find out why it's a greater covenant in a minute. But this is what it says in verse 18. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Spirit, who is the Spirit. See, remember Moses, when when he saw God, his his face was veiled. And so what, what Paul is saying now is that the new covenant is a better covenant because it's been unveiled. We can now look to Jesus with unveiled face, and we can see Jesus in all of his glory with unveiled face. And what happens? It says, That we are being transformed. Transformed into what? The same image. The image of who? Christ. From one degree of glory to another. So that's why it's a better covenant. Because now it's a covenant that transforms life. It's a covenant where we can look to Jesus. And all of his glory. And all of his splendor. And that changes us. Jesus is no longer obscured. And we can look at Jesus with unveiled face. We are transformed as we look into the face of Jesus. And it says that this is how we grow from one degree of glory to the next. Something that they didn't have in the old covenant. The spirit of God working in us. Through the life of Christ, through his word, through the glory of Christ, is how you and I are changed. Look down further in chapter 4, verse 6. It says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light, listen to this, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this glory is now in the face of Jesus Christ. And God is the one who shines in our hearts in such a way that we can now see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he gives us this knowledge. So therefore, the glory of God then becomes, I believe, the primary way In which the work of sanctification happens this is why this topic is huge this is why I think we need to to understand the glory of God because if we don't if we're not looking to Jesus if we don't understand his glory then guess what we're not going to be changed just like there were change when people saw him and they felt as though dead And their lives are completely radically changed, that's not going to happen until we understand this idea of God's glory. And so that's why I think it's so key, it's so important that we understand God's glory because it is what changes us, it is what transforms us. And we have to ask the question do you want to be transformed? Uh, don't, don't give me the church answer, the Sunday school answer. Uh, yes, we do. I, I want you to stop. I want you to pause. And I want you to really think about this question. Do you really want to be changed into the image of Jesus? And do you understand that that is the goal of our life, is to become more and more like Jesus? If you answer yes, then we've got to understand the glory of God. Another question I want to ask is this, because I think this is key. Whose glory are you living for today? Whose glory are you living for today? Because I think if you're like me, I'm very pro, and if I'm not careful, and if I'm not In God's Word and I'm not praying it's very easy for this flesh to start working its way out and it's very easy for life to start becoming about me and there's two options we either live for the glory of God or we live for the glory of ourselves and living for the glory of ourselves gets us nowhere but living for the glory of God Brings him glory and brings us the most satisfaction. And so, if we're to look to God's glory then to transform us, if God's glory is important and you want to live to the glory of God, then we have to ask the question, how? How do we live for God's glory? And I want to give you some, some very hopefully practical things that that we can look to. Number one, this is pretty obvious, but you have to commit your life to it. Somebody once said, if we aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You You have to set the direction of your life towards living for the glory of God. You have to commit to it. You have to aim for it. It doesn't just happen by itself. You don't just wake up one day and it's all about God's glory. You need to work at it. You need to seek after it. You have to commit to it. In John eight fifty, Jesus says this, Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Jesus says, I don't seek my own glory at all, but I seek the Father's. See, if you know anything about the life of Jesus, he was all about the glory of God. His whole life, his whole dedication was to, was to following the glory of God and doing what the Father wanted him to do. That's what he set out to do to do the will of his Father, which eventually sent him to the cross, where he died for the sins of those of us who have offended God because of our sin, and he's provided forgiveness. And so Jesus himself made it his aim to seek God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again, it's an aim. You have to set your mind to it. Now I was thinking a lot about that verse. Just trying to think through, what does that mean? And I, I think I have a little better understanding of this now. It means just in the very basic things of eating and drinking... Right? Just in the very simple act of eating and drinking, give glory to God. Right? We we think of the big things. Right? We think about service to the glory of God. We think about worship to the glory of God. We think about telling people about Jesus to the glory of God. But how about the glory of God in the private of my own home? when nobody's around? When I'm just eating and drinking? Is God getting glory? See, it has to become our purpose statement. It has to become the thing that we aim and direct our lives towards. It has to be something that we commit to. Now, ask yourself this, do you prefer the glory of God above everything else do you prefer the glory of God above everything else now I want to give you an illustration from the Old Testament about commitment to God's glory and I tell you man this is the second story I've heard in the Old Testament this week that you just walk away thinking man the Old Testament it's, it's pretty crazy But turn with me to to Exodus 32. Now, just to set this up, remember Moses is up in the mountain, the Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. While he's up on the mountain, uh, the people that, that, listen to this, that God delivered from the hand of the Egyptians, the people that God loves, loves, The people that saw God's hand do miraculous things through the deliverance. So this is what happened. Moses goes away to spend time with God. And the people start to wonder, what happened to Moses? He's been gone a while. They start to worry and panic. And so they come to Aaron, which is, anybody know who Aaron is? Brother of Moses. Okay, so his brother, okay, they come to him and they say, away with this God. Build for us other gods, other idols. And so Aaron says, okay, give me all your gold. And so they gather all the gold and they make this golden calf and they start to worship this golden calf. Read the story, there are things that happen that probably aren't appropriate to share here, but just chaos Okay, sin is just rampant. Okay, Moses comes down. This is what he comes home to. And by the way, this is Aaron, his brother, who is kind of leading this thing. And starting in verse uh, 25, we pick up the story. And it says, when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, that's putting it lightly, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Okay, so he's, he he's in the midst of all this stuff and he, he says, Okay, this is this is chaotic. Uh but I need to do something and I need to draw out from this people who are going to be about God. So he says. Whoever is on my side. Come to me. But then he says. All the sons of Levi. Gathered around him. And he said to them. Thus, thus says the Lord. God of Israel. Now get this. Put your sword on your side. Each of you. And go to him. And go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. You get that? You get what's going on? Moses says, come to me. Anybody who wants to be on my side, anybody who wants to be on the Lord's side, come to me. And they did. And then Moses says, take your sword and go kill your friends, your neighbors, your companions. And they did. And then verse 29, and Moses said, Today we have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. What an ordination service says 2,000 men fell at the sword. What's the point? What, what's the point I'm trying to make? This is, this is the point. Are you willing to kill anything in your life that prevents you from being committed to the glory of God? Now, that may mean for some of us that we will lose our friends. We will lose our family. We will lose those close to us. But are you willing to do that? Are you willing to put all that down for the sake of God's glory? What in your life needs to be killed? so that you can pursue the glory of God unhindered. The glory, living for the glory of God is a commitment. It's something that we aim for. It's something that we have to dedicate ourselves to. It's something that we have to strip away the things in our life that prevent us from seeing the glory of God. And those things sometimes are painful. But notice what he says, um at the end, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you, it is a blessing to seek god 's glory. Sometimes the commitment to god's glory might even cost your life, as Peter understood first peter four sixteen says yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So even in death, are you committed to living for the glory of God? Number two, you glorify God when you suffer what He uh, suffer when he suffers. You suffer when he suffers. What does that mean? Have you been around when God's name has been defamed, and you just kind of stand awa- around like it's okay? Have you been caught in one of those situations, where you just you're nervous, you don't really want to say anything. You don't want to come across like judgmental, but you know, man, my God, he's being mocked right now. He's being defamed. And I think there was an apathy in our life in regards to this area. I think we hear and we allow people in our presence to to mock and defame God and tear, tear God down and, and we just stand around like it's okay. Psalm 69, 9 says, For zeal, your house has consumed me. Now remember in John 2 when Jesus goes in and turns over the money table because they came into the temple and they were making a mockery of God's house. And remember what Jesus did. He took a cord, a rip, and he drove out the money changers. Do you have that kind of zeal for God? Do you have that kind of zeal for God's household? When people are making fun and ridiculing God, Do you stand up for God? Or do you just kind of allow apathy to come into play and just be like, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. Apathy is a very dangerous thing. And so we need to learn to suffer. Do you feel heartache over the things that God feels heartache over? Or again, do you let apathy raise its ugly head, and you just kind of walk by like, oh, what what am I to do? We need to be about feeling the heartbeat of, of God. We need to be about feeling even God's grief over the things that God grieves over. Number three, you glorify God when you rid yourselves of pride. You glorify God when you rid yourselves of pride. You know why? Because when pride is present, then who's seeking the glory? Yourself. Right? You're seeking your own glory. When pride raises its head, it's give me what I want. Give it to me now. It's about me. I want my own way. Where does God get the glory in that? He doesn't. So we got to learn to to kill this this pride that is in us. And I love this passage in in Philippians, Philippians two, four through eight. Philippians two four through eight. Says, so let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taken the form of a servant. By the way, there's that word doulos again that we talked about a few weeks ago. Made himself a slave. Being born in the likeness of men, on being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Is that your life? Are you humble? See, so Jesus had every right to go around boasting and, and being proud, he was God. The God of the universe, the God who who holds everything in his hand. The God who could, at this very moment, take your life if he chose. I breathe because God allows me to breathe. So if anybody has the right to walk around saying, look at me, look how great I am. It's not you, it's Jesus, first of all. But what did he do? says he humbled himself, even to the point of becoming obedient and dying on the cross. So we will, never, we will never see the glory of God. We will never live a life that pursues God's glory if there's pride in our life. Next, we glorify God by confessing sin. We glorify God by confessing sin. Luke twenty three forty one is the picture of the thief on the cross. And listen to what the thief on the cross says. There's two thieves hanging on either side of Jesus. One of them is mocking Jesus. The other one says, For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You see the difference between the two men? This thief realized, I deserve this. I deserve this penalty for my wrongdoing. And what did Jesus say to him, remember? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. So confession isn't about making excuses for why we've sinned. Confession is all about acknowledging to God that we have indeed sinned and we take responsibility for that. We are getting exactly what we deserve. When we sin and God chastens us, we are getting exactly what we deserve. And by the way, when we confess, and it is a true confession, then what we're doing is we are allowing God to do whatever God wants to do in us. Either he'll chastise us, he'll discipline us, and he's just in doing that, and he gets all the glory for that. If he doesn't chastise and discipline us, then guess what? He still gets the glory because that's mercy. So in either case, God is glorified. When we confess, we acknowledge our sin, we acknowledge, okay, whatever happens to me from the hand of God because of my sin, I deserve it. I deserve it. And God's glorified in our confession of sin. He is glorified in the discipline of of his children because of sin and he is glorified when he gives mercy and does not do anything next we glorify God by trust in him actually I want to back up um, Nehemiah 9.33 I want to share this Um, this is Nehemiah 9.33 says yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. There's somebody taking ownership of their sin. There's someone taking ownership of what God's about to do if God's going to do anything. And that should be our attitude. We glorify God by trust in Him. Romans four, eighteen, through twenty-two, talking about Abraham, starting in verse eighteen. Says in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations let me stop remember god promised abraham that his descendants would be as many as the stars in heaven and the sand it would be great and god makes this promise even in the even the fact that abraham's wife was beyond the age of barren children and God comes and, and promises Abraham, as it says going on in 18, as he had been told, "You shall, uh, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of his wife Sarah, uh, no distrust made distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. Get this: as he gave glory to God. So we give glory to God when we trust God, even against all hope, even when it seems like this this thing is way over my head. There is something about trusting God that brings Him glory. Why? Because it shows that we, we really believe when we say, We trust You, Lord. We may not understand this thing we're going through, but we trust. And when He answers or when He, he pulls us through those times, who gets glory? God. So we gotta trust. Philippians four nineteen says, "Our God will supply every need of yours, according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus." Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can supply every need? Now notice He doesn't do that for our glory. When He supplies our needs, it's because Jesus gets glory. So we gotta learn to trust. And as we trust, God's glory becomes bigger and bigger because as we trust and as we see God come through time and time again, his name gets bigger, his, his pitch on our minds grow, uh, then all of a sudden we're at the point where we come against a situation where it seems beyond hope that we can look back and we can see a faithful God who brings us through who supplied every need that we had in those times. And hopefully we'll come out of those times worshiping, praising God, and giving Him the glory, because it's all about Him. And anything He does for us is because of Him. Next, we glorify God by fruitfulness. We glorify God by the fruit of our life. John 15.8 By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so prove to be my disciples. You aren't proof that you're a disciple of Jesus you're going to bear fruit. And as you bear fruit who gets the glory? God. right? We don't bear fruit so that people can look at us and pat us on the back and say oh good job. Look what you did. No, we bear fruit because it brings God glory. This is why Paul prayed in Philippians 1.11. So it's filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he's praying that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And so we need to bear fruit and as we bear fruit, it gives God glory. Now, there are two kinds of fruit. Again, like hope, hopefully this is practical. Uh, two kinds of fruit that happen in the life of a believer. There's action fruit, and there's attitude fruit. Colossians 1.10. Actually, let's turn there. Colossians 1.10. This is Paul again. He says, "So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So our fruit needs to increase. We need to be bearing fruit. And that was Paul's life, wasn't it? I mean, of all the, the New Testament writers, and, and I mean, I love Paul. All the work, all the fruit that he produced. And yet, It was never about Paul, was it? Not once did I ever hear Paul say, look at all this stuff I did. He was always pouring up. He was always, he, he, he understood that the fruit in his life was not because of him, nor was it for him. It was because of God, and it was for God. So the first kind of fruit that we produce, that the Spirit produces in us, is a fruit of works, where we go and we do. The second kind is attitude fruit. And we all know Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Again, it's, it's the Spirit that produces this fruit in us. Now listen, action fruit without attitude fruit is hypocrisy. If we're going around and we're doing all this stuff, but our heart's not in it, if we're we're not living a life where the Spirit is producing these qualities in us, as listed in Galatians 5.22, that's hypocrisy. That's what the Pharisees did. They're all about the outside appearance. So both Both kind of fruit need to be active and evident in our lives if we are to bring God glory. Three more things really quick. Number one, or number whatever, a hundred. We glorify God by praising Him. By praising Him. Turn with me to Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his service glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And then turn over to Psalm 86, 9. It says, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. You see, when when we worship here, when the band comes up and leads us in worship, it's not about the band. It's about God. It's about God getting the worship that he deserves. It's about God getting the worship that he deserves. It's about us coming before this holy, awesome God and surrendering our lives to him in worship. I wonder. It always interests me the reservation that we have in worship. It, it, it just it, it, it interests me because we we come in and and we have this time of worship, and I, and I just I just wonder, do we do we understand this God that we're coming to? And by by the way some people worship, I I don't know. I, I don't, like, this is God. Like I said, this is the God who created everything. This is the God who gives you breath. A few weeks ago at Life Group, we just went through this list of Scripture, of the things that God does and is in control of. Do you know that it's snowing outside right now? Do you know who's causing that snow? Scripture says God is causing that snow to fall right now. Is that your God? Is your God that big (laughs) that he does that? I think we we need some more energy in our worship. Not that we muster it up by ourselves, but I think it comes as we begin to to comprehend this God that we have. Is your God big? Your worship will be big. If your God is small, then your worship's gonna be small. And God does not get glory in small worship, He gets glory from the hearts of people that understand that He is a big, awesome, amazing God has everything in the control of his hands and when we praise him with hearts like that, then we are truly glorifying God. Two more things we glorify God by prayer we glorify God by prayer John fourteen thirteen John fourteen thirteen whatever you ask in my name This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Who gets glory when prayer is answered? God. Let me ask you this. Who gets praise when God doesn't answer the prayer the way you think he should answer the prayer? Does God get glory then? You see, no matter how God answers, whether we think he answers the way we we want him to, he may say no. He may provide another way. He may say yes, but this is the key. No matter how he answers, he does so because of his glory. He doesn't go around answering our prayers because he wants to give us what we want. Again, it's not about us. God answers prayer to his own glory. And sometimes that doesn't make sense. I know sometimes we pray and, and God doesn't answer. or He answers in a different way. And I know, I know, because I've been there. Sometimes it's like, why? It's because I don't understand the ways of God. Because his ways and his thoughts are so above mine. But I do know that he loves me. And I do know that he answers the way he does because he loves me and he, because he cares and because he may want to be teaching me something. Last. We glorify God by bringing others to Christ. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4.15. Again, this is Paul. He says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul is saying, I want to come to you so that this grace can spread. This grace. Uh, of salvation are we about spreading that grace because as we do and as people come and respond who gets the glory God and I was thinking a lot about about this and just being challenged by by Tony these last few weeks about what are you going to do with Christmas and it's interesting, uh Jimmy and I were at the store the other night, and we just said, "You know what should we do while we're waiting for the groceries to be had and we just said let's just uh, let's tell people about jesus so and obviously you know it's funny these things happen to me uh but I walked up to this lady and i I just said, Would you like to know Jesus? I, said, I already know Jesus, I'm like okay <laughs> uh and then Jimmy had a really good conversation with somebody. So, um, but, uh, but man, is that, like, uh, side note. Here's the thing I love, too, about God's sovereignty and, and something God's been teaching me. Like, who cares? Go up to people. Do you want to know Jesus? Simple, right? Because we always go through our minds, man, what do we say? You know, do, do we ask them what they want prayer for? Do we, you know, and I've just come to the conclusion, God's sovereign, God saves, and he just wants me to open my mouth. It's been the most freeing thing for me to, to just be able to, to go up and say, do you want to know Jesus? If God's working, guess what? They're going to respond. If not, I'm going to get what I got. Uh, uh, but... um But man, just, we've got to understand the reality of hell. Listen to what John Piper says. He says, hell is unspeakably real, horrible, and eternal. That experience in which God vindicates the worth of his glory in holy wrath on those who would not delight. In what is infinitely glorious. Jonathan Edwards says this God aims at satisfying justice in the eternal damnation of sinners, which will be satisfied by their damnation, considered no otherwise than with regard to its eternal duration. Now, listen to this. But yet, there never will come that particular moment when it can be said that now justice is satisfied. That's hell. Eternal. God's justice is never satisfied, which is why it's eternal. Those the, hell is real, you guys. And I have to remind myself of that because sometimes I forget that people who die apart from Christ, they go to hell. When we have a job, God tells us, open our mouth. Hell is real. And yes, God is glorified even in the sending to hell of people, but he's also glorified. And I think even more so when people respond to him and embrace him as their Savior and Lord. So, if you want to glorify God, we've we got to be about bringing other people to Christ. So, you want to be transformed? You want to be more like Jesus? Don't look to him. Look to the face of Jesus. You see, Jesus wants glory in his church. We are his church, by the way. So glory in his church never happens unless it happens in us individually, right? I mean, the church isn't these four walls of this. This, this wall doesn't become more holy or like Jesus, right? We do. We are the church. So if the church is to become holy, And glorious, then we are to become holy and glorious as individuals. Ephesians 3.21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Other than Philippians 4.20, now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. And I thought, man, just praying through, how do I want to close? And I thought, I, I want to go back to Moses. And I want to ask, who is with me? Who who wants to be on God's side with me? Who, who wants to be about God's glory? And I'm going to say, come up here with me. Sorry, that would have been fun. Uh, Honestly, come up here with me. Stand today. Let today be the day where we say, Today, it's about God's glory. It's about me living for that. I know that's a commitment, asking people to do that. But I want to ask. And if I'm the only one up here, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So as the worship team comes and, and, and plays, men, if you want to come, fall on your faces. If you want to cry out to God, if you want to say, I'm for you today, God, then come, stand with me, and let's do this thing together, because we need each other. We need each other to do this. And so come, if you want to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your glory. And Father, all I'm going to pray right now is that you would work in the hearts of people. In Jesus' name, amen.